Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as we are officially in the offseason now. This is uh, this is quite a weird feeling after being on again, off again for three months, basically. The Nuggets got into the bubble on July 7th, I believe the day was, and they finally exited the bubble yesterday. And it's just kind of insane that that, that was, I mean, today is September what, September 28th? That's three months ago. July, August, fully in September. So the Nuggets did a lot. Their season and their outlook changed a lot over the last three months, and we didn't necessarily know how things would go, but things becoming clear in that 2019-20 season has really changed things and really made things appear in a different light heading into this offseason. Before I talk about that, I want to give this past season its due. Uh, I think it's important not to jump straight into off-season discussion. Because what the Nuggets just did was unprecedented, and it was something that has never happened in franchise history. Coming back from two 3-1 deficits is something to be celebrated for sure. And to me... I got a lot of questions, and understandably so, during that playoff run about the offseason, about what, what I expected the Nuggets to do, about how how things were going to change going forward. And, and out of respect for that season and for that version of the Nuggets that just left the bubble yesterday, I wanted to wait until they were officially eliminated before actually discussing things because so many things changed. Like, had I started talking about things and really delving into off-season discussion after Game 3 of the Utah Jazz series, there would be a lot of things different and a lot of things that I, that I think differently about since that point. Jokic was the only superstar on the team until Jamal Murray joined him after that point because Game 4... He dropped 50 points. Game 5, he dropped 42. Game 6, he dropped 50. When you do that, and then you follow it up with some amazing play during the Western Conference semis and Western Conference finals, you deserve a lot more recognition. You deserve, a, like, you, you don't deserve to be discredited as a, as a false max player before even hitting that contract. And... I think that's something that really changed. Will Barton was the third most important player on the Nuggets until he wasn't. Until he he didn't step into the bubble. And maybe things would be different if Will Barton was in the bubble and healthy. And they were playing. And and you go into that Lakers series. And, and he's a secondary playmaker that they need. 
when Jamal Murray's banged up, when, when things get a little bit weird. But maybe they lose because they're playing him while they have to defend Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and he's not able to do that as well as Gary Harris or Paul Millsap or somebody of that nature. Things were really different. Gary Harris and Paul Millsap, as I just said, they had their moments. It, it wasn't solid all the way through. In, in all actuality, it was actually really bad for most of it. But Gary Harris, without him, without his contributions in the first and second round, the Nuggets wouldn't have been in the Western Conference Finals. I think it's very clear. Paul Millsap, same way. His big moment in Game 5 against the Clippers really flipped the script and allowed the Nuggets to complete their second 3-1 comeback in a row. And that deserves its credit. That deserves its own place and its own time for discussion. Monte Morris, Torrey Craig, Mason Plumley, they all had their moments through the regular season. Monte Morris really stepped up in the playoffs. I want to read you off his playoff numbers because I think in juxtaposition with what he did the previous year, this is really important. 9.1 points. Basically 50% from the field, only 30% from three, but he at least made threes this year. That was a big step in the right direction. He made 12 threes this playoffs. He attempted 40 of them. He attempted 13 and made zero in the previous year. That's a leap forward. That's, that's at least a step in the right direction for him. He was playable for most of the time, despite the fact that he had the worst plus minus on the team by the end of things. I don't know if it was necessarily his fault, but at least he could contribute to a playoff team, for sure. The season Jamal Murray had uh, really changed from the non-bubble to bubble games. I'm really curious to see how much of it is real versus how much of it is a bubble thing. If you guys know me, I think it's real. I think it's, I think it's very clear that he took a leap in these playoffs. And that's not just going to go away when the Nuggets get out of the bubble and start doing normal basketball stuff. There was also a sprinkling of MPJ in there. Throughout the season, there was always this this thing in the back of your head about what if MPJ is a star? What if MPJ continues to contribute to this Nuggets team? And how does that look? How does that feel? What dynamics are changed? Well, we we saw a semblance of that in the in the seeding games, he was probably their best player. It was either him or Jokic, and it was probably MPJ. When Murray came back, the, the, the team kind of went back into the Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll, rightly so. Obviously, they don't get past any of, the, any of the first two rounds unless they go back to that. But MPJ still had his moments. He still had incredible shots that he hit throughout the playoff run. He was a plus 54 overall. The next highest rotation player was a plus 9, and that was uh, that was Jamal Murray. So he has the ability to contribute, and the Nuggets found that out in spades, and that's the baseline for what he did in his rookie year. I'm really excited to see what he can do as he continues to age and get better and get smarter about the game of basketball. The Nuggets outlasted several playoff teams in a war of attrition. Very impressive stuff from them in being able to outlast Utah, coming back from 3-1. They, they 
were in a really tough situation and there was a really, really tough uh, social and racial justice situation that they also had to maneuver through. And Jamal Murray did it with a with an amazing run, of course, uh, but every nugget deserves their credit for being able to fight through that, to being able to not just put it aside, but like continue to understand, like, no, continue to, I'm, I, let me try to phrase this correctly before saying something stupid. Um, they were able to deal with everything that was going on and everything that was being thrown at them and still managed to come out on top. And that deserve like that's a lot of character and a lot of just moral. It's it's it was incredible. Let's let's just leave it at that. And then to do the same thing again against a championship contender in the Clippers that was unbelievable too. Uh, the bubble kind of turned the most of the playoffs upside down, except for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, the Bucks were out of there. The Raptors were out of there. Everybody thought Philly would be good, but they got swept. Um, Houston didn't put up any fight against the Lakers, despite people thinking that they would. And the Nuggets, well, they beat the Clippers. That was not something that people expected nationally at all. The Nuggets fought hard against the Lakers. They probably needed a little bit more talent and versatility in order to do it, but the season was clearly a resounding success. It ended in a small failure, but it was a resounding success. I wrote about the season being a comedy as opposed to a tragedy in terms of Shakespearean literature. Uh, if you want to check that out on denverstiffs.com, I think I do a better job of describing that there than I am doing here. But the season was incredible. And... I think it's important to give it its due before moving into a different phase of this Nuggets team because they are going to move into a different phase. The expectations have shifted. This team is now gunning for a championship full bore. They've proven they can be there. And now the goal is to get over the top. And it's so difficult and takes a lot of tough decisions and maneuvering and everything in between. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about that, and I'm going to talk about it in the next couple of segments. I might even make this a two-part podcast with as much questions and uh, content as I'm about to divulge. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, thank you to the Nuggets for a great 2019-20 season. We're about to start talking about the offseason. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. 
final warning before we we jump the gun on this offseason stuff. I know it's been it's been I wanted I wanted to hold off for this. I think it's important to give the due where it is due. Give the Nuggets organization the, a little bit of respect in not immediately talking about guys being gone and, and traded and walking away and things like that. Because these guys are people too. It's very clear. Um, so this is your last chance to click off. This will be here all week. There's going to be a lot of time to talk about this stuff. But without further ado, let's get into the 10 most important offseason questions that the Nuggets are facing going forward. The first one is Jeremy Grant and what to do with Jeremy Grant because it's going to be very, very interesting to see what kind of offers Jeremy Grant gets in the in the free agency period. Uh, Mike Singer reported that it was likely that Jeremy Grant would be opting out of his player option uh, for the 2020-21 season. And he w- he's still interested in coming back to the Nuggets, but I think the Nuggets are going to have to pay what he's worth. And what he's worth is what other teams are going to pay him. Like that that's going to be the baseline set in all of this. There are multiple teams out there that I believe are going to make a big run at him. Teams like the Phoenix Suns, teams like uh, the Atlanta Hawks, teams like the New York Knicks even. There's going to be a lot of teams that and some that have cap space that are going to be interested in bringing him in because he's a piece that can help take your what you believe to be a playoff caliber core to a championship. The Knicks may not be ready for that, but they'll also want to pay guys. They'll also like they want to be competitive too. Um I think the Knicks trade for Chris Paul and I think they try to sign guys that fit well with Chris Paul. One of those guys is Jeremy Grant. So we're going to see how that goes, but I want to share some numbers on Grant in the playoffs because it's important to fully understand what level of impact he had. He averaged 34 minutes a night, which was third on the Nuggets behind Jokic and Murray. Murray was at 40 per game. Jokic was at about 36 and a half. Grant finished the postseason with a plus-minus of minus 73, which was only ahead of Torrey Craig and Monte Morris. The Nuggets as a team finished with a negative point differential as well. And a lot of people have used that to discredit them. They were pretty much even with the Clippers, so I expected their point differential to be zero there. And then they kind of wet the bed in the first three games against the Jazz, uh, especially games two and three. That series shouldn't have been as close as it was. The Nuggets were dealing with some injuries and had to put guys in tough positions, but uh, because of that, and then because of the five-game gentleman sweep that they had against the Lakers... They were always going to have a, a negative point differential, I think. Uh, so I wouldn't use it that much against Grant, but it is notable that he is the third worst in plus minus. Uh, we'll talk about why. Uh, but he averaged five threes a game that he attempted, and he shot 32.6%. Shot 40% from the field. Definitely not the shooting numbers that you want from him, but... I think it's pretty notable that he was definitively the third option for this playoff run when he's better suited to be a fourth or fifth option for sure. For sure. Um, I hope people don't take those numbers too tough because 
they're about to start playing Michael Porter Jr. and giving him a lot of shots and giving him a lot of opportunities, that is going to naturally help tor- or help Jeremy Grant's numbers go up because he's not going to be the third option. He'll be the fourth option, maybe even the fifth option, depending on what the Nuggets do at shooting guard. But here are the four-man units that really tell the story. Uh, the Nuggets' most played four-man unit in these playoffs was Murray, Grant, Jokic, Millsap. That lineup played 340 minutes and was a minus 1.1 net rating. Next, I want to talk about Murray, Grant, Jokic, and Porter, which played 120 minutes, so over 200 fewer, but they were a plus 16.2 net rating. The Nuggets were a lot more successful with that group out there as opposed to the, the first group. And then if you switch around the forwards again, and instead of putting Grant and Porter or Grant and Millsap, you put Millsap and Porter with Murray and Jokic as well. That lineup played 55 minutes and had a plus 2.6 net rating. So Denver was basically even uh, a net neutral with the Grant Millsap and Porter Millsap. But with Grant and Porter on the floor, they were massively positive. They had a really good group out there with those four. Murray, Porter, Grant, Jokic. And I believe that that's Denver's future right there. And I don't think you can really put a price tag on it. It's too important to find ways to be a championship contender and to surround your stars with the best possible options. For Murray and Jokic, to me it looks like Porter and Grant are the best possible options they can put it forward. Grant is 6'9", he's athletic, he's versatile, he defends star wings, he defends star forwards. Porter is versatile as well, he's a high-quality rebounder. He can take contested threes and make them. He has a lot of potential to continue to grow into a scoring role and even a playmaking role. But as soon as he gets into the starting lineup, things are going to change for the Nuggets and they need a guy to complement Porter. Grant, in my opinion, is that guy. His numbers individually, they probably aren't worth a big contract extension, but due to Denver's situation and due to the, like, the, the finding of the elite Murray-Jokic pair, the, the already having a potential star in Porter, there are very few players in the NBA that fit that group as well as Grant. He takes them over the top in postseason action because of what he can do defensively, matching up on the perimeter, and the interior. He's not going to rebound. He's not going to be a playmaker. He might grow into some of those things in a bit, but he's going to be a good 3 and D option, and there are very few good 3 and D options left out there that are within Denver's price range and that they can pay what they would have to pay to get Grant. So, Denver's probably going to need another guy to handle tough guards like Harden and Lillard and Curry. They're probably going to need another guy to handle tough bigs that Jokic can't handle. Guys like Anthony Davis, Kristaps Porzingis, Zion Williamson, Jaron Jackson Jr. going forward, etc. There are a lot of guys that maybe Grant could contribute some on all of those guys, but not all. 
he's mostly focused on the forwards. But finding a forward defender is so rare, so, so rare, and it's worth paying that in order to win a championship. Because even if you finish, even if you get to the to the NBA Finals, the two, the two teams in Miami and Boston who are on the other side had Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, and Jalen Brown between them. There are going to be guys for Jeremy Grant to defend in the playoffs all the time. And the Nuggets are going to need somebody out there who can do that as well as be versatile enough to fill other roles and do some stuff offensively. So my opinion is that they should pay to keep him. My opinion is that they should do what they can. They can have a ceiling on what they pay, but mostly, like unless it's an absurd contract that's thrown his way, I think they should match whatever they're they have to match. The second question of the offseason, and it pairs with question three, is how to handle the other important free agents. It's not just Jeremy Grant who's going to be up for contract extension. It's Paul Millsap. It's Mason Plumley, It's Torrey Craig. There are a couple of other guys that, that I'm not including in that. Noah Vonley, Troy Daniels. I don't think they're as prevalent to what Denver's going to do going forward. But once Denver decides whether they're going to pay Jeremy Grant or if Grant decides he wants to be back, uh, everything spirals into place because if Grant comes back, it's time to talk about the finances. Denver has less cap room if Grant comes back. They're not going to operate as a cap team. They're going to be above the cap, no doubt. So let's say he gets a contract that pays him $17.5 million in his first season, which sounds like a very reasonable estimate. They could pay him less. They could pay him, like, I don't know how much more they would actually pay him, but that sounds like a good starting point to base this discussion off of. If they pay him $17 million a year, $17.5 million a year, they will be $7 million over the projected salary cap and roughly $16 million under the projected luxury tax. So what does that mean? That means that with the 10 players that the Nuggets have under contract at that point, not including Bull Bull because he's uh, a two-way contract, not including this year's first-round pick, which they'll probably use they still would have $16 million to pay five players and fill out the rest of the roster. They don't have to worry about the two-way contract guys unless they convert Bull Bull to a full-time contract. We'll talk about that in a bit. Without getting too deep into the cap minutia, things become really difficult with Denver's current cap situation to bring back any of Millsap, Plumley, or Craig if Grant is brought back. That's really the spiral point. That's really what I would consider to be the tipping point, the the keystone point for what Denver wants to do this offseason. There's two keystone points. That is one of them. Could You could probably bring back one of those three, even if you bring back Grant, but more than that is certainly pushing it, and it becomes a lot more difficult to fit everybody if the Nuggets are unwilling to pay the tax. That's just a fact. There are other ways they can get around that. One of them is trading Gary Harris or Will Barton for not as much money coming back. We'll talk about whether that makes sense in a bit. If Grant walks, 
then Denver's in big trouble. They might decide to retain Paul Millsap, Mason Plumley, Torrey Craig in his place, but the overarching point there is that I just think that Grant is very important to what Denver wants to do going forward, and there's no player in the NBA that they can get this offseason that could replace that. Millsap would probably start at power forward if Grant, Grant didn't come back, but he would play under 25 minutes a night. He'd be less effective in the playoff setting because he just doesn't have a capability to jump anymore. Torrey Craig, he could possibly start at small forward and push Porter to power forward if Grant walked, but I don't think that's a smart thing. You could play Torrey Craig 25 to 30 minutes a night and get away with it, but I don't think it's a great option, and and I also don't think he's a great bench option anymore with P.J. Dozier in tow. Mason Plumlee, he could reprise his role as backup center, and if if Denver didn't re-sign Grants, then maybe Plumlee plays a little bit more next to Jokic next season and going forward. But that still doesn't cover for the fact that Denver has playoff issues with Plumlee out there. He has been... There, there are definitely a lot of situations where he just doesn't fit. And asking him to fill some of those power forward minutes in addition to backup center, that's tough. It's a really tough thing for him and if he can't do it for everybody else. So Denver's in a tough spot if Grant doesn't come back. But number three on the top 10 offseason questions is how much is too much to pay to bring those guys back. I'm going to start, I'm going to focus on Grant, Millsap, Plumley, and Craig. Let's talk about Grant first. Remember I talked about that $17.5 million number? If the Nuggets paid him $17.5 million for four years, each of those, no, no changes to that, then it's four years, $70 million. I think that's a very reasonable contract. And especially for him, especially for a guy with his skill set, that's still young and can continue to grow, it makes sense to pay a guy that much money. The max I think the Nuggets could pay Jeremy Grant and be okay is four years, $85 million, which is $19 million in the first year with 8% raises. $19 million is kind of the cutoff because beyond that, I don't think the Nuggets can fill out the rest of their rotation and still be a championship caliber team. But if the goal is to be a championship caliber team, you probably have to pay that guy. Even if, even if $85 million sounds like a lot, and it does sound like a lot, but it, let's say it's four years, $70 million, and you thought he was a, a $15 million per year player, and he's, he's only worth four years, $60 million. I think I would posit that the cutoff for this and getting too cheap makes you the Milwaukee Bucks. They decided to let Malcolm Brogdon walk because they didn't think they could, they could afford him. And they were right. They couldn't afford him if they didn't want to go into the luxury tax. But the Nuggets this year, they, they can still avoid going into the luxury tax while also playing, paying Grant a lot of money. I think it's important to pay him. I think it's important to make sure that you keep that guy and then base the rest of your offseason around whatever number you come to. Whether it's four years, fifty million; whether it's four years, seventy million; or whether it's four years, eighty-five million. I think eighty-five million is a good ceiling on that, 
And if anything past that, it's probably not worth it to bring back Grant because he is still a role player. He's just one of the most valuable role players in the NBA. So it's important to make that distinction. Paul Millsap. I don't think you can make any commitment past one year with him. And for a one-year commitment, I don't think you could pay any more than $8 million. That would be generous. I don't think Denver even would give that much to bring him back because they're they're continuing to try and move forward. They don't want to pay somebody for what they did and need to pay somebody for what they think they're going to get. If they don't think he's worth $8 million, then they shouldn't pay him that money. They're, they're too far against the cap. They're too far against the tax to really make that distinction and, and be uh, willing to overpay guys to come back. They just don't have the flexibility. Mason Plumlee, it's kind of the same way. If Grant comes back, I don't think you offer Plumlee a contract because Grant can play some small ball center. Uh, Bull Bull is still in tow. I think backup center is a position that you can fill pretty cheaply. If Grant walks away, then I think you can still offer Plumlee a contract because he has shown the ability to play with Jokic pretty well. If he hadn't shown that, then it would be different. But two years, $15 million total is the number I would offer Mason Plumlee at max if Grant walked away. Remember, if, he, if Grant signs, if Grant stays, then I wouldn't pay Mason Plumlee at all. Because I think that's probably the uh, it's probably the time to start moving a different direction, especially because the Grant Plumley combination didn't work at all this past year. It was really bad, and I I don't think you should pay for things that don't work from the outset. Tory Craig, he's kind of a marginal guy, even if Grant Grant stays or goes. I'd probably pay him two years, six million if Grant stays for an average annual value of three million a year, and then three years, ten million if he walks. So a little bit of a bump, maybe an extra year in there just to be safe. But the Nuggets have a guy in PJ Dozier who I think they really like and who he acquitted himself well in these playoffs as a guy who I think could be a contributor. But they have to play that guy. And if you bring back Torrey Craig, I don't think they're going to play P.J. Dozier at all. So it's an interesting dichotomy they face there. I think uh, Tim Connolly's right. He would be right to not bring back Torrey Craig. I think it's the right thing for the team uh, in all likelihood. But if you can get him on a, on a great deal, if you get him on a steal, then maybe it makes sense. I don't know. Again, what this really says to me is that Grant is part of Denver's future. There's a limited ability to improve and or maintain success unless Grant is back with the team. Denver isn't just Jokic and Murray. And I think it's pretty clear that in this playoffs, they needed Grant to advance. Like he had to defend so many of the players that he had to in order for them to have a baseline competition level. Jesus. Um, that's a pretty big distinction in my opinion. Number four, what to do with Bull Bull, Keita Bates-Diop, and Vlatko Chanchar. Those three are all under contract or at least have options to be under contract going forward. 
Uh, starting with Katabates Diop, he's a low-cost option as a backup three or four. He has some versatility. The Nuggets just traded for him. He's going to make $1.7 million. Uh, he has a non-guaranteed contract. Like I think that guy, it's it's pretty easy to bring him back unless there is somebody else for that amount of money that the Nuggets circle and can get that for that efficient value. Um, Bates Diop is a good cutter. He's the right size at six foot eight. Uh, he's an athlete. He's versatile. He he has a lot of ball skills and and can do different things on the court. I think Denver could really use him as like an eleventh man next year. Maybe not in the regular rotation, but at least somebody who, if an injury were to occur, could step into different situations. If let's say Grant was out, uh. Bates Diop wouldn't necessarily start, but he'd come in and play a bench role in place of Grant, uh, or in place of whoever the bench forward was. I think it's it's fascinating to think about. Um, Vlako Chanchar is next. He is another low-cost option who, as a backup 4-5, makes some sense. I'm not sure about his versatility yet. We haven't seen enough of him to really get a good feel, but we did get a nice picture on social media today of him just looking absolutely jacked, just as somebody who makes a lot of sense to bring back and, and use as a as a spot four, spot five, where he can set screens, uh, be a physical presence out there. He's good friends with Jokic. Um, to me, both guys, they're easy to bring back. They're, they're in their early to mid-20s. They fit the culture of the group. Uh, if you're going to have some turnover from guys like Millsap, Plumley, Craig, uh, you might as well keep Bates Diop and Vlako Chanchar around because you don't want too many new faces. This team as a Western Conference Finals team, uh, it's important to keep some of those guys around. It's some of that culture around. And I think Vlako makes sense in that regard. Let's talk about Bulbul. Bulbul is really interesting. He's a two-way contract next year and has playing time restrictions. He's got that 45-day limit which really equates to about, we'll say, 40 games. If the Nuggets are going to have 40 games of Bull Bull, I think that's a mistake. I think he has clear star potential. He could be a restricted free agent in 2021. He might have an immediate rotation spot if the Nuggets don't bring back some combination of Craig, Millsap, and Plumlee. Denver may look to convert his contract either this offseason or during the year. I think that's a really unique thing that we, we should be thinking about going forward. With P.J. Dozier, they converted his contract. Um, I, I don't remember if it was during the offseason, like if it was like in July or if it was like in March. I'd have to look that up again. But they converted his contract to a full-time contract, uh, gave him the Monte Morris special. Um, and I think that Bull Bull may be in line to have the same thing. Uh but whatever happens, whatever they decide to do, the Nuggets need to leave luxury tax space in order to allow Bull Bull to be under contract. I don't think you want to allow a player like that to hit restricted free agency so early. And the reason for that is obvious. A team that has more cap space in the offseason could pluck Bull Bull away from the Nuggets, and that would be awful. If the Nuggets lost Bull Bull, in the offseason of 2021, because he was offered a $10 million a year contract to really come into his own as a star, 
and Denver couldn't afford that, that's a tough thing. So I think they should do their work early with him, pay him something that may be a little bit more pricey now, but looks like a bargain going forward if he continues to play like a star. Maybe give him something around what Monte Morris is getting, or maybe they pay him more like a first-round pick. Maybe they pay him like somebody who is slated to be a star in the league. I don't know. I think it's important to get out in front of that, though, because that's not something people are going to be thinking about, and it's something that the Nuggets might decide to do. So keep an eye on Bull Bull's contract discussions during this offseason, despite the fact that he's under contract as a two-way player. The Nuggets may need him to be more than that going forward. And finally, in the first segment, the first-round pick, uh, the Nuggets are going to draft 22nd overall. It's either 21st or 22nd. I think it's 22nd. Um, I'll have more about that as we get closer to the draft. The draft is on November 18th. If a clear need arises, uh, then Denver could look to fill that with this pick. Uh, If they can find a guy that they circled and say, hey, look, you have a, a nice ceiling here. Uh, but you could also fill a role for this team because the Nuggets already have Murray, Jokic, Porter. They, if they do sign Grant, then the, they've got that guy penciled in. Uh, if they have Bull Bull, he may be a good fit. P.J. Dozier may be a good fit long term. Uh, Monte Morris even, if they decide to re-sign him. So Denver doesn't have a lot of talent needs, but they they may, if they decide to have a guy, they, if they need a, a wing shooter, if they need somebody like that who can really fill in, if they need a backup center type, somebody who's a bruiser down there, somebody who really projects to be in a playoff rotation against a guy like Anthony Davis, uh, maybe they look to fill that role. Maybe they look to try to make that work as well as they can. Um, but they could also use it as a trade chip. They could also use it as as a, a piece that they decide to move in a star deal, or maybe to get off some extra salary. or like There, there are a lot of ways that they can continue to handle this. Um, but if the Nuggets do decide to draft someone, that pick will make a projected $2.1 million in the first year. So remember, that $16 million tax line that I said at the beginning that would go to five players, that number that I talked about earlier, that's actually closer to $14 million tax line for four players if you think the Nuggets are going to draft somebody at 22. And if they have to leave room for Bull Bull, it's likely closer to $12 million for three players. So things get a lot tighter and things get a lot more contained if you look at it that direction. Basically, if Denver decides to convert Bull Bull's contract, if they decide to draft somebody with the first round pick, if they decide to trade or to sign Jeremy Grant to the deal that I projected him for, they have about $12 million in tax room for three players. They can do different things with it, but that's where we're looking at. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the 10 most important offseason questions. That's, that was part one in the first segment. Now we're going to head to part two. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. 
this podcast is going to be very chock full of information, I feel. And I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you've, you've liked it so far. Uh, these are just my thoughts. It, it's nothing like perfectly solid. I have opinions on these things and, and those opinions aren't shared by everybody. So make sure to get multiple viewpoints. Make sure to just continue to do the research on these things. If I miss something, then I apologize. I've tried to compile as much correct information as possible to just dis, dis, just distribute between everybody and, and for everybody here that wants to listen to this podcast. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, this next segment is going to also be long. It's going to be a part two of the 10 most important offseason questions. Uh, part one was going with Jeremy Grant, uh, handling the other important free agents, the maximum amount of money to pay those four guys, uh, what to do with Bull Bull, Katie Bates, Diop, and Vlatko, and then the first round pick. So that was more in-house discussion. And now it's time to talk about uh, things on the outside, things to, like how, how the Nuggets bring in additional talent, what they need to do, how they acquire said talent, decisions that they have to make. But let's start this, that discussion by discussing the rotation next season. Um, number six, let's decide on a rotation for what the Nuggets are going to do. If you bring back Jeremy Grant, I think there are four starting spots next year that are solidified, not in stone, but at least like pen. They're, they're in blue pen. Uh, if, if Michael Malone decides to do something different, I will be surprised, almost shocked, but not necessarily. Like, it, it could happen. And that's Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic. I think those four are Denver's future. I think it makes a lot of sense to start all four of them together. Uh, they provide Denver an opportunity to play a versatile brand of more offensive-minded basketball. But if they if they can get those four to play defense together, then my lord, that team is special. Um, I list four guys. The fifth spot is where things get really interesting. But let's come back to that. Um. Under rotation, uh, based off of the, the, I talked about 12 pieces uh, in the first, in the first segment there. Um, The four starters right there, you've got Harris and Barton, Morris and Dozier as four guards slash wings who can be interchanged in different combinations. Uh, One of those guys would start unless the Nuggets make a trade. Uh, three of those guys would come off the bench. It, very possible that not all three of those guys could play. There are two backup forwards in Keita Bates-Diop and Vlako Chanchar. There is one backup big in Bull Bull. That is uh, that's 11 right there. And there's a first rounder who may fit in somewhere. Uh, that's their 12th player. They'll make dis- decisions on... Tory Craig, Paul Millsap, Mason Plumley, But if they don't bring any of those guys back, then that is the outline for what you're looking at. And so the weak points in that above rotation kind of look like the fifth starter spot who they, they don't really know who that's going to be. Backup forward with Keita Bates, Diop, Vlako, Chanchar, that's probably not good enough. And then backup big. Denver only having one backup big at that point in Bull Bull. Probably not good enough, and given Bull Bull's size, and he might not be necessarily ready physically in order to handle some of the 
tougher assignments, um, the Nuggets are going to want to add there. They're going to want to make sure that they don't have a major liability. They also want to make sure that they can survive Jokic foul trouble because that appeared to be a major liability in the playoffs once again. That's Jokic's main liability at this point. It's not defense. It's not outside shooting or aggressiveness or anything like that. It's fouls. Plumlee wasn't the answer to that in the playoffs. That was pretty clear. The Nuggets are going to have to find an answer, and it it might just be a combination of players. Maybe they have to play a specific lineup that makes sense. If they play Murray, Porter, Grant, Monte Morris, and Bull Bull, then maybe that's enough offense to really get them over the hump. But if they're hemorrhaging points, that's also not great. That's there. There's different things that they have to do there. Um, so that kind of outlines the rotation and the weak points. I think you have to talk about the fifth starter, the backup forward, and the backup big as potentially places they need to improve. Number seven. Denver has to decide on what to do with Gary Harris, Will Barton, and whether they want to bring both of those guys back, one of those guys back, or neither. Uh, there are pros and cons to all of those options. Start with the good. If you bring with if you bring back both of them, you get really good continuity. That's a high talent level with those two players and guys that you really trust. Guys that have been with the Nuggets and are the Denver Nuggets. You don't want to completely change everything around. And if Denver's already going to lose Paul Millsap, Mason Plumlee, Torrey Craig, then the Nuggets have to really navigate that well and say, hey, we we don't want to completely change the identity of the team that got us to the Western Conference Finals. And if that's the case, they may have to bring back Harris and Barton and say, hey, this is something that we have to do. It's just it's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, there's roughly $33 million to be made between both of those guys. Um, and one of them's going to start, one of them's going to come off the bench. You'd also be, by keeping both, you might prevent Denver from improving the roster in other ways. Uh, it's unclear whether both of those guys are necessary to what the Nuggets do. It's unclear if Barton is necessary at all. He provides a skill set. And that's really important, but he played zero minutes in the playoffs this year, and the Nuggets still made it to the conference finals. Maybe that says that he's not necessarily as important to this team going forward if if Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant and guys like that continue to step up. Let's talk about if they only brought back Gary Harris. He proved that he could handle tough guard assignments in the playoffs, but his role offensively was unclear. Uh, he was really just the fifth option, and, and there were times where he was still attempting floaters and mid-range shots and couldn't really finish at the rim. Um, the offensive role might not matter if Michael Porter Jr. continues to break out, but he'd still be a costly $19 million fifth option. If he's not playable against certain teams, that's also an issue because the Nuggets, for the position that they're in, they have to maximize their dollars. They have to maximize as much as they put out there on a consistent basis. If they only brought back Will Barton, he maintains that continuity to be clear. Uh, a playmaking and floor spacing option offensively, he's one of the best in the NBA at the, at the money that he makes. He's a lower cost option on the wing. 
uh, can make a, the move to the bench if necessary. Like he could be on the bench even if Gary Harris is gone. Like Denver might find a way to add an upgrade at shooting guard and still have get, ha, and still have Will Barton come off the bench because Michael Porter Jr. just needs to start. Uh, but the con is that he's not a high caliber defender. He's merely solid, and the Nuggets may need a high caliber defender if they're going to get past guys like Damian Lillard and uh, James Harden and Steph Curry and Luka Doncic and guys of that caliber who are going to be in the playoff picture for a long time, all throughout Denver's window. Jamal Murray proved that he can be a solid defender in the playoffs, but I don't think he's a tier one guy, and you also don't want him defending the other team's top perimeter option because it's going to wear him down for what he does offensively. So, a lot of things to think about there if you only bring back Barton. If you bring back neither of those guys, it provides you the most flexibility to fill out the roster while also retaining Jeremy Grant. You might be able to bring back an extra one of Paul Millsap, Torrey Craig, Mason Plumlee, guys of that nature. But there's also no guarantee that the players you bring in at shooting guard can fill the same roles that Harris and Barton can. So unless they trade those guys for an upgrade, then it it might get a little bit hairy. They may be losing talent. In order to trade out salary, you also have to take salary back. So whoever the Nuggets bring back from those Harris and Barton trades, if they did decide to move them, that had better be worth it. Trading those guys for just dumping salary, it's probably not a great option. You probably have to, whatever you do, whatever player you decide to bring back, if that guy can't play, that's a tough thing. Like, even even if he's only contributing in the regular season and not the playoffs, then that would be reasonable. But if that guy didn't play at all, uh, let's say it was like Solomon Hill of the Miami Heat, then... Solomon Hills played five, like he he plays these small stretches during these Miami Heat games and just looks like a, a shell of himself, looks like a, a really poor option, makes a lot of money. But if you if you have that level of guy and just can't get any level of production whatsoever, that's a really tough thing. So figuring out what to do with Harris, Barton, those are those are really important pieces to what the Nuggets are going to do. Number eight, do you go for a star trade or do you try to fill in the edges of the roster with talent? And it probably depends on how much confidence you have in Michael Porter Jr. stepping into a new role with grace, with poise, with ability to really change the game. Um, If you go for a star trade, it maximizes the the ceiling of beating the best teams. Because if if Murray does if he's if he's not as good, you can rely like not, not let me let me rephrase that. If Murray is ninety percent of what he provided in the bubble, as opposed to one hundred percent, then the Nuggets lose to the Clippers. If he's ninety percent against the Jazz instead of a hundred percent, then they lose to the Jazz. If Denver traded for an additional star they could probably get a 90% version of Murray and still be good enough and still be be quality enough as a team as with your talent level to take it over the top. Um, but filling in the edges of the roster provides a higher floor during the regular season. 
And there are many different ways to make the playoffs and, and do the things that are necessary. So if you believe that Porter is a star, then maybe the best thing to do is uh, fill in the edges of the roster with quality guys that can contribute on a nightly basis in the regular season to make sure that you're in a position as a top one, two, and three seed uh, so that you don't have to play guys like uh, Porter, Jokic, Murray, super heavy minutes during the regular season just to win. Uh, that makes sense. Both op- both options make sense. You can compete for a title in different ways. My recommendation would be to look for the right star pieces, the guys who make the most sense with the fit of the roster. But then if you can't get one of those guys, then you trust the talent development. You go for uh, MPJ, Jokic, Murray, Grant, and then surround those four with the right mix of talent and fit and role players and just continue to try to get to that point where if if you like you play like the the Lakers or whatever like you surround your star talent with different quality pieces they may be worse in the regular season but one of those guys might be the difference in the playoffs and you just don't know which one number 9 Top targets in free agency. This is a tough one because the Nuggets don't have any cap space. And because of that, there are only specific things that they can do to add players. The one major thing that they have there is the mid-level exception, which allows a team that is over the salary cap to pay money and to pay significant money to players in, in the free agency pool. That money starts at $9.28 million, and the maximum amount of money that Denver can throw at a new free agent would be four years, $40 million. Uh, that's a projected number based off of the, the projections that we've heard so far. That's subject to change. But the point being, Denver's not going to get a starting caliber player from that deal. Uh, they're not going to afford Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors. Um, there are other starting caliber players that are in the free agency pool that Denver's not just, they're just not going to be able to afford. They're not going to sign Anthony Davis to a $40 million contract over four years. It's just kind of how it is. Um, but there are definitely pieces that might be quality regular season contributors and maybe even playoff contributors that the Nuggets can afford if they decide they want to go that route. Uh, I don't think they need a guard. I I just I don't think they're going to get a starting caliber guard in order to make that work. I also don't think paying for a backup guard makes sense given that you have Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, you already have Will Barton and Gary Harris in tow. You've got Jamal Murray that you're paying a big amount of money to. Um I think you go straight to wings and big man because those are the and forwards and wings are are kind of interchangeable here. Um Joe Harris is the one guy that you look at and say, okay, hey, maybe he could fit the bill. Maybe he's a guy, I don't know if you would accept that amount of money. I think he's probably going to make more. But Joe Harris is a sniper from the perimeter. He makes a lot of sense. Another guy is Jay Crowder. He's in the NBA Finals right now. Not sure if the Miami Heat are going to be able to afford him or not. There are pieces that they still have to wait in order to pay. 
Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Um, they're going to have to pay Bam a new contract. They are, they already have Jimmy Butler. They're in the Giannis Antetokounmpo sweepstakes. Like that's a that's a thing that they're still playing around with, and they like to keep their their free agency money from being burned on role players. So they might let Jay Crowder go. Justin Holiday is another guy that if they sign Justin Holiday, then maybe Drew Holiday would be interested in playing with Justin. Maybe maybe they they'd be interested in playing in Denver where they could compete for a championship, and they play together on the perimeter, have a good time with it. It would be fun. Um, it's not just because Justin Holiday is a holiday. He's actually a very good player and a quality 3 and D option. Uh, good quality defender, uh, solid enough off ball. He can make moves, uh, just fits really well into what the Nuggets would want to do. Um, and I think he makes up the difference for a lot of the things that Porter and Grant and guys of that nature would need in the regular season. And then bigs. This is one where if you're going to pay for a big-time big man, then this may be the way to do it. Um, The three guys that I have circled here are guys that I think may be able to also play with Nikola Jokic. You want versatility. You want quality defensive play. You want guys that may be able to guard Anthony Davis. Uh, The three guys are Serge Ibaka, Derek Favors, and Tristan Thompson. There's no guarantee that any of those guys would sign in Denver for that amount of money. It's actually possible that all three may say no. Um, But if Denver is really a championship contender and all they need is a guy who can come off the bench and maybe defend Anthony Davis a little bit, then there is some intrigue there. There There is some potential for them to do some good stuff. Um. I like the idea of all three of those players because they can all three play the five off the bench and play the four next to Jokic in certain circumstances. I think they'd be worth that amount of money. And Denver can afford it. They just have to be diligent about how they pay it out. Um, also, if they made a star caliber signing, or if they made a star, a star caliber trade, they probably wouldn't be able to afford any of those guys. Just to be clear. Um, the Nuggets could also split up that MLE among different players and offer it to multiple guys. Uh, Etwan Moore, Chris Dunn, Myers Leonard, Kent Bazemore, Gary Clark from the Orlando Magic. Those are some of the guys that I'm thinking about in this case. They would fill a, a specific role for the Nuggets in the regular season. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys got that money from Denver. It wouldn't surprise me if a combination of those guys got that money from Denver. Maybe Denver decides to bring in Etwan Moore and Myers Leonard to play off of their bench. And maybe they play, maybe they don't play from game to game, but at least they help them get through the regular season a bit. That's where that's where your your mind has to be at with guys like that. It's not as sexy, but it really helps Denver on the margins. And then number 10, last thing before we get out of here, top targets on the trade market. Um, Let's talk about star trades. Um, Given what Jamal Murray just did, I think you can already say no to players like Zach Levine and Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal's a little bit more shaky, but Zach Levine definitely not. Like 
the Nuggets have their guy. Like they they don't need another star quality guard. And I think that by giving another high usage player, high volume scorer and and playmaker and putting that guy in the backcourt next to Jokic and Murray, it disrupts what Denver's doing. It might raise their talent ceiling, but I trust what Jokic and Murray continue to do. And I want the ball in their hands as often as possible. Uh, The only reason I'd want to take it out of their hands is for Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant's guys of that nature. Um, So Drew Holiday, I don't think he fits quite into that ball-dominant category. I think he'd be pretty good to adjust. He makes a lot of sense from both a kind of a star caliber perspective and getting the needs that you need. Uh, He's a a quality elite defender against star guards. Might even get some star forward defense out there. Um, He can play both on ball and off ball. He could play with the bench. He could play with the starters. He fills a lot of different hats. And you want guys like that when you have to pay guys like that a lot of money. Um, Zach Levine, I already said no. Bradley Beal, I already said no. Chris Paul is somebody that we're going to hear a lot about. I'm going to say no. Uh, one, because he's too small. And I think that's really important to, to remember here is that he's 35, 36, but he's also too small in the backcourt. And Denver's going to need guys that are bigger. Uh, but also for financial reasons, because if Denver traded for Chris Paul and they paid Jeremy Grant only $15 million, like kind of within the the standard for what you would expect to pay him. They would be paying the combination of Murray, Jokic, CP3, and Grant. They would make over $112 million combined. The salary cap this year is 109 So that's probably untenable if the Nuggets want to fill out the rest of their rotation with quality pieces. It just doesn't... Like, they have to trade Barton, Harris, uh, probably Katie Bates-Diop, Vlako Chanchar as well. You'd, it would be a pretty big play. It would be a pretty big talent play, but you'd have to be absolutely sure that that's the right guy to get. I'm not sure that's the case. I just think there, there are enough reasons not to want to pay a guy $41 million a year. My top trade targets for this offseason. One is Drew Holiday. I do think that if you can get that star, if you can get that quality piece who can do all of those things, you should probably go for it. Denver may not be able to afford him. They may decide they don't want to part with Bull Bull. But if that's the case, then you're probably not going to get him. But Drew Holiday is a very capable star-level guard who who just fits well with what Murray and Jokic are doing. He would fit well with Porter, covers for a lot of his mistakes. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, In that same vein, the next three guys are capable starting caliber combo guards who take some pressure off of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. They are Marcus Smart at number two, Lonzo Ball at number three, Derek White at number four. Uh, Marcus Smart, for obvious reasons, he fits a lot of what the Nuggets need from an attitude, from a ball handling, from a defense perspective. He's versatile, does everything you need to win, Kind of like Jamal Murray, he's a warrior, just an absolute fighter. The Nuggets need guys like that, like guys who are willing to put it all out on the line in order to get the job done. Um, 
Lonzo Ball, not necessarily in that category, but in theory, he fits. He's a combo guard playmaker. He makes the right pass. He, he spaces the floor as a three-point shooter reasonably well. He'd help speed up the offense and transition and take advantage of Jeremy Grant's athleticism and Michael Porter Jr. streaking down the other side for a three. Um, I think the fit with Lonzo Ball is good, is really, really good. Uh, he might not be the right personality for the team, though. Number four, Derek White. White may not be available from the Spurs, but they're going to have to pay him next offseason. And if they have DeJounte Murray, if they like Lonnie Walker, if they decide to draft somebody else who's a quality guard in this next draft, then they may not want to bring back Derek White for the price that they would have to. So it's at least intriguing, interesting to try and pay Derek White and try to trade for him. I'm not sure it would work. I'm not sure the Nuggets can get him, but he's a guy who Nuggets fans should be very familiar with. He would make sense next to Jamal Murray. He's a good defender. He's a good combo guard, has a lot of different skills, is a Denver guy. Uh, Makes a lot of sense from a personality standpoint, too. Also, he's a DNVR guy, so check out their bar for sure. Um, Number five is Kelly Oubre, who didn't play with the Phoenix Suns in the bubble. and they have a really nice formula uh, with Booker, Bridges, Cam Johnson, uh, DeAndre Ayton. I'm not sure if Kelly Oubre fits into that. Like They may decide to prioritize Ricky Rubio over him. And if that's the case, then Kelly Oubre may be on the move, and he may not want to be a, a bench guy going forward. With Denver, he might be a starter. Uh, he could probably start at the two, and I think it would make some sense to do that. Uh, still a quality scorer, versatile playmaker, uh, 6'8", somebody who does, he's just another great athlete who would make a lot of sense from a personality standpoint. Um, He might not be the right guy, but he's a good guy to take a chance on. He's young enough that I think it makes sense. And I just think it it would be a good fit. Um, Other trade candidates to talk or think about, uh, Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. Uh, either of those guys, I, I don't know what the situation is in Indiana, what they decide to do ultimately. I think they're going to try to build around Sabonis. I'm not sure if Oladipo fits there anymore. He may want out, and Miles Turner may be the same way. Uh, Turner fits well as a guy who could defend Anthony Davis. He might not be perfect at it, but he's a quality defender, and he's a rim protector, and he could shoot threes. Maybe that's a guy that the Nuggets should consider. Chris Paul, as I mentioned before, he's a trade candidate to think about. Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic is also another guy. If if Jeremy Grant decides to walk, I think Aaron Gordon is probably the best option to replace him. He's young. He's athletic. He's versatile. He's a good one-on-one defender. Unlike Grant, he's a really good rebounder as well. But he's also a playmaker, and he has the capability to do that. I'm not sure if Denver can afford him if they don't want to give up Murray, Porter, Jokic, but they should at least call if Grant decides he doesn't want to be back. Uh, Nemanja Bjelica is a Serbian forward and center who would fit next to Jokic reasonably well, but also kind of with the culture of what Denver wants to do. 
I think it would make sense as a combination with Bull Bull off the bench. Both of those guys can shoot. Bielitsa could take the center matchup, and Bull Bull could be the roaming four. Makes a lot of sense there, I think. And Thaddeus Young is another option that if Grant decides to walk, then maybe Thaddeus Young is a good stopgap before what they what they actually need to do. Uh, Thaddeus Young is a power forward with the Chicago Bulls right now, and Arturis Karnasovas is there. They still have Larry Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, they have centers and power forwards there that they probably need to play and figure out. They probably don't need Thaddeus Young. Uh, Denver might be a good option as a trade destination for him if they decide to go a different direction and if Grant decides to walk. That's only contingent on that. And the last trade candidate is a salary dump. I'm not sure what that would include, uh, but if, if the Nuggets need to clear up cap space, then Gary Harris, Will Barton, they may be on the outs. And that's just to afford guys that Denver needs to afford. And it's really tough. You, you hate to be in that situation. and But it's also a possibility. Uh, the Cronkies lost a lot of money this year between Walmart, uh, the L.A. Rams, the Nuggets, and the Avalanche with the TV deals, uh, not getting gate revenue due to COVID. Uh, there's a lot of reason to think that the Nuggets aren't going to pay the luxury tax, and they'd actually be ab- abhorrent against it. So we're going to be in- interested to see how that plays out. But that's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to a long episode. This was a lot of information. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, at me on Twitter or comment in the comments for the Stiffs article below. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, make sure to continue to focus on the 2019-20 season. Don't lose track of that, what the Nuggets did. Don't think too heavily about the offseason. There's going to be plenty of time for that. This is just a good primer for what to expect. I think it's a good primer to have. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys very soon.